afternoon, and welcome to Everyday Law. I'm your host, Bob Clark. As always, the comments that are made on this show do not reflect the thoughts and notions of the Howard County Community College and its staff and employees. And if you do require legal advice, seek an attorney. We are not giving legal advice on this show. We're just trying to give a proper direction to people. If you have a legal problem, seek out an attorney and give them the individual facts of your case. We have today a returning champion of the show, Cecilia Pays. Cece has been on the show previously several times. In particular, she is a mediation specialist. And welcome to the show, Cece. Well, thank you very much, Bob. I appreciate being invited back. My recollection from our last visit is we talked about mediation, and you have started something that's called what? Well, I mean, I have the Mediation Center. That's what I'm asking about. And that (coughs) is essentially my um, doing business as um, name because my primary practice now is mediation and training in new mediators in various um, styles of mediation. Now, are you doing mediation in cases outside of Maryland or is this all Maryland-based? This is all Maryland-based. I have done a few in Florida in the past, but I'm focusing on Maryland. And... Are there particular areas of mediation that you focus on? I do focus on family law and the various aspects of family law mediation. And I would presume that's because you have years and years of experience of doing family law in Maryland. Yes, without revealing my age, I have many years of experience in family law. It is remarkable that a woman of 40 would have so many years of experience. Yes, when you graduate law school at the age of seven, it happens. So. So our show today is entitled Breaking Up is Hard to Do, and really it is going to focus for the benefit of Howard County Community College students and faculty on the logistics of terminating relationships and dividing up assets. I presume that is something that you are regularly involved in. Absolutely. And I presume that there are actual laws that are applicable to doing so. Yes, and, and they are different for people who are married and those who are not married. Okay. Why don't we cover the married people and then move on to unmarried couples and other different organizations of humanity? Um, First of all, with regard to breaking up as a married couple, what does one do? Well, I think that the first thing one does is sit back and think long and hard about how they're going to discuss breaking up with their spouse. Okay. Because... What happens often is that people do not confront the issues in their marriage, lack of communication, that gets them to the point where one person has already given up on the marriage and the other person is moving along as if everything's fine. And you're at different points of what we call the grieving cycle for the loss of the marriage. Okay. And that creates a problem. So I think that the person who's made the decision which unfortunately in these cases, if one person decides the relationship isn't working, the decision is made for both and for kids if there are children involved. Um, I would recommend that you meet with potentially a counselor to talk about the aspects of it from from the perspective of the other person and how to communicate it. Um, That doesn't happen very often. That's what I was gonna ask. In your professional experience, 
as opposed to the mediation situation, if you're representing somebody in a domestic relations case, how often do you find that there has been open and accurate communication between the spouses about the prospective breakup of their marriage? Not very often. I think there are people who go to, who start in marriage counseling, and then it basically becomes separation counseling because at some point they realize that the, the, work, the relationship isn't going to continue to work. I would think that if you're the unsuspecting person, that would be a tremendous emotional blow. Yes, yes. Sometimes people, you would think, would read the signs, do not really see what's going on or pick up the clues. And then suddenly someone sitting across from them saying, um, I, I'm no longer in love with you. I really would like to have a divorce. Or you find out about another relationship. So do you find that the moving party, and I presume that there typically is one person who's pushing it more than another. Yes. Okay. Do you find that the moving party goes into the discussions understanding the ramifications of breaking up? No. I think that on rare occasions, I have people who come in to me to talk about the logistics of a divorce prior to speaking with the other party, which I think is wise. Okay. Because I can at least let them know what the issues are, what they should be looking at, and that they need to kind of develop what it is they want before approaching the other person. They need to have a clear idea of what's involved and how they would like to see things come out. So what percentage of the divorces that you've been involved in do you find somebody comes to you and gets the sort of framework for dealing with their partner? Um, I would say probably less than uh, 30%. Okay. Primarily, they come after they've been told or after they've already spoken to the other person. So let's take a a stroll down the avenue of you're the person who wants to, who believes that the relationship needs to be broken up. You recommend that they consult an attorney beforehand so they can address the various issues. Are there other things you would recommend for the moving party, as it were? I think they need to have kind of a game plan as far as what happens if it all blows up um, and how they would like to approach the process. And by that, I mean, do you want to run into court and file a complaint? And unfortunately, the way that things go in Maryland, if, if someone files a complaint for divorce, lawyers look it up and then suddenly are sending letters to the other side that they're here to represent them and if, they're, if they would like, and that's when the other person finds out. That has to be a very disconcerting thing to learn about your divorce from a multitude of lawyers sending you letters seeking to provide you services. Yes, I think it's probably the worst way to do it. So um, I always recommend to people that, you know, you, you talk to them about it before you file a complaint. Okay. What about the person who is on the wrong end of the news and is the unsuspecting spouse? What do you recommend for them? Uh, I recommend that they speak with an an attorney as soon as possible, primarily because you need to know what's involved. You need to know what your rights are and what you can and cannot expect. Some people will come into my office and say, well, my neighbor was able to get this. And as you indicated in your disclaimer, everybody's facts are different, and those facts are very important. I would imagine it is hard to have people accept a dispassionate analysis of how things should be divided up and how their relationship of whatever duration is coming to an end. Well, I think that you need to, um, both as the spouse but also as the attorney, recognize that, that some people are going to take a little longer 
to really come to grips with what's going on. But I also tell my clients that I'm the dispassionate one. I'm the one that has to sit there and, and give them the right, the truth about what the law provides. Sometimes there's big gray areas, but there usually is a, a, a worst case, best case scenario setting, and you need to see get them to focus on in the middle. So there's sort of an alternative direction also, and from your professional undertakings, I know it can be very effective, and that is people who are breaking up coming to a mediator to sort of get between them and, and tell them what might be appropriate avenues and what the possible legal outcomes are and that sort of thing. Yes, yes. Um, there are lots of what we call alternate dispute resolution processes, but the ones that are most commonly used in, um, in uh, family law are either mediation or what we call collaborative law. Okay. And what is collaborative law? Collaborative law is a process where you generally develop a team of professionals to help the couple work through the various issues. And everyone agrees and signs agreements that nobody will represent the, the parties in court so that everyone is focused on settlement itself, but allows for the parties to get uh, mental health coaches who can help them with communication skills. It, it allows them to, to um, work with a child specialist who can work on parenting plans for them that work for them and their children based on their particular facts. And it also allows them to speak to financial neutrals who can help them work out budgets uh, post-divorce. This all sounds as though it might hypothetically be quite expensive. Yes, it can. It's it's a little more expensive, definitely, than mediation, where you come in usually without attorneys and work through um, issues. I am one of the. I am an, a mediator that does not mind having attorneys present at family law mediations. Whenever I do non-family civil mediations, lawyers are always present. So. Okay, so we've kind of covered what the person who is the moving party in a divorce should be doing and what the response should be. What are the actual mechanics of getting a divorce and dividing up things? Well, the, the most efficient way to be able to do that is to um, either be able to negotiate with lawyers present directly or to meet with a mediator and go through each of the areas that are involved in uh, a divorce. Custody of the children, which includes how major decisions will be made and what the parenting schedule will look like. Um, child support, alimony if it's appropriate, and then the property division involves um, all sorts of things from personal property, which you know does include dogs and cats That's and other I animals. That's I was going there. And um, and also it involves, you know, retirement plans and houses and real estate um, that's separate from your marital home. And so it can become very complicated and they would need a guide through that and then review it with an attorney to make sure that they understand what it is they've agreed to. So what happens when you're ordinary people and you're barely getting by and you want a divorce and there's issues such as the ones you've described? Are there court procedures that make division of these things possible? Are there court mediations or collaborations? What sort of things are available to people of lesser means? If you are, um, if you fall within what we call the means test, which is people that earn under a certain amount of money, depending on the number of children you have, there are options. There are, there's the Maryland Volunteer Lawyers Service through which you can be assigned a uh, pro bono lawyer in your county. There are um, also other attorneys who will do, will take on 
pro bono work that, um, you know, when, when the case warrants it, there are family law clinics in every county courthouse, um, which are very helpful because you, you can sit down with an attorney and find out what you need to do. And there there is now a new process called limited representation, which is where you can engage an attorney for a particular aspect of the case to help you with the negotiation of an agreement, to prepare the complaint that you would then file in court, um, to go back and, 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 and basically talk about the various issues. I do have to say that if 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 couple has a marital home with equity in it, um, or even without equity, sometimes underwater, you really need even more help figuring it out than um, if you have equity or retirement plans of any sort, pensions, 401ks. Those are the people who really, regardless of, of their income level, should speak with an attorney, whether it's at a family law clinic or not, because those are very specific areas that need legal advice. So you practice domestic relations, you mediate domestic relations cases. What percentage of cases get worked out? I would say um, in all likelihood, probably about 90 to 95% of family law cases settle without litigation. Okay. Um, And that's, I'm not including all that are filed. It's a lower percentage of those that are actually filed um, contested cases. But usually people are looking for the alternate way of resolving it, mediation, collaborative law, or even just sitting across the table from each other and saying, okay, what are we going to do? The most difficult cases in all uh, truth are that those where they don't have enough money to really run two households. And yet they recognize they need to separate because it's not good for the children, it's not good for them because of their negative uh, relationship. And those are difficult. So what, what are the alternatives for those people? Well, if there are children involved, sometimes people do what's called nesting, where one parent, uh, where they get an apartment and the parent who is, uh, who is responsible for the kids is in the house with the children. And when they're not responsible, they're in the apartment and the other parent is in the house. The problem with that is it's very hard to have that last very long at all. I can imagine. Yes. But it often gives them time to be able to work through some of the financial issues and work out how it's going to happen. The most difficult ones are the ones where one party says, okay, I'll move out, I'll get a one-bedroom apartment, but that also means that they don't get to have the kids overnight with them, that they're going, they're, you know, in many cases, they go back to the house almost every day to spend time with the children, but they don't have that experience of having the kids with them overnight, so. I imagine it is a pretty tricky business to have to advise somebody to move out of their family home where their kids are and move in a one-bedroom apartment for the betterment of the breakup. Yes. I mean, oftentimes it's very child-focused, which are the best ways to resolve these things. Sure. But it is hard. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, being able to sit there and watch your soon-to-be ex-spouse in the house that you all put together um, over t- over time, and yet you're not enjoying the actual living there and being able to have the space that that provides. So the governing principle of the court system with respect to these matters is the best interests of the child. Yes, yes. And I would imagine very often people have disagreements about what that is. 
Well, the, the biggest thing about both marriages and separations and divorces is everyone has their own perspective on everything. Sure. And um, one of the things that I enjoy about my mediation trainings is the research I've been able to do. So I'm not an expert like a, a sociologist or, or a, a psychologist, but I've learned that we have a very um, great ability to take facts that support our view and listen to those facts and let them into our brain, but not the ones that disagree with our view. Fair and enough. that's how we can have such diverse opinions on the same issue and the same facts. In many ways, if we cured that, you and I would be out of a job. Um, I'm not sure if that's good or bad. You know, eventually it'll be good. But. Yes, I agree. And for society, it would certainly be good. But that is what really creates the perspective. And sometimes parents, from my, from my experience, don't recognize that some of what they are talking about that's best for the kids involves their involvement in it. it it's about them as well. And I tell people, look, you have to acknowledge so there's self-interest in this room because we all have an interest in raising our children. Well, you also, some people don't want to pay child support or don't want to pay as much child support and that sort of thing as well. Yes, but I think that that is often a conclusion drawn uh, okay. more often than is true. Okay, um, that's nice I've, to hear. Yeah, I've actually found that some people that come in that say, oh, I want 50-50, it's not about the money. It's about their definition of how they are a full, a full parent. So I do know that there's plenty of households where one spouse is more actively involved in raising the young children and the other spouse is more actively involved in going to work and providing the support. I would presume the people who are raising the young children are prone to thinking they should continue to do so. And the people who've been working and not raising the kids kind of want more of a piece of the action. How do you work those things out? Well, you, you, you have to really look at where they live, you know, where they're going to be in, in relationship to each other, where the kids are going to school, what their kids are involved in. I just have long conversations with people about all of that and say, okay, then how does that work? What does your job look like? You know, if someone works from six in the morning until eight at night, five days a week, then they're not really going to be there for the children. Sure. But sometimes people work 12 hour shifts you know, nurses, doctors, um, firefighters, policemen. Sure. And they, they, there needs to be adjustments for their unique schedules. Um, and so, again, oftentimes I have conversations about what is it, what is it really going to look like? If you get people to details, often it's easier to get them to, to generate options. What are other options that would look good for us? So what's the percentage of cases you see where there's some form of shared custody? Nowadays, yeah. I would say probably 60 to 70 percent. Okay. okay. It, it's, and when you say shared, it mean, to me that means not just every other weekend for one parent. I would agree. I think that there's a, a lot more involvement of both um, dads and moms in the raising of kids these days. Um, I, it's certainly different than the, the 50s and 60s when I grew up. And if I had my dad arrive at a, a gymnastics meet, it was a miracle. But, uh, you know, but my mom was always there. Sure. And um, so I think that there has to be some sense, and I think the courts are, are also feeling this way, that a shared custody schedule is better for the children depending on all the factors. Do they live close enough together? Is it, you know, is, are the kids going to have to get up on a school morning an hour and a half earlier because 
you know, well, I presume sometimes they live in different school districts, the parents. They do. But it, for example, in Howard County, if you if if the primary parent lives in the Centennial School District, but the but the uh, other parent lives in, in the Mount Hebron District, you're still in Ellicott City. OK. And getting the kids to school is not that big a deal. Fair point. But if one of you moves to um, northern Virginia, you know, Certainly, that's not going to be a, a case where school nights would be with the parent in Virginia if the kids are living primarily in Maryland. So what are the primary disagreements you see both in breaking up and then once the breakup is completed and the logistics are laid down between parents over kids? The schedule. Okay. The schedule and who gets to make what decisions. Okay. Oftentimes, I find that the things that brought people together often are what, after kids are born, kind of drive them apart. Okay. You know, the strong personality with the personality that really would like to be de dependent on a strong personality until that person tries to take over raising the kids 100%. Okay. Um, you know, the, the, um, the aspects of that are often that moms will put up with a great deal prior to having children, but once they have children, the mama bear, I call it, comes out, and the dynamics between the parents are different. Interesting. And I find also that, um, well, the studies do show that uh, the, the rate of divorce goes up within three to five years of the first child being born, and within two to four years of the last child leaving. Wow. Because the relationship between the parents changes. Okay. And sometimes, you know, one parent will be completely consumed by providing the care for the children and the spousal relationship is ignored. So do people fight over pets? Yes. Yes. How vigorously? Um, sometimes very vigorously. I think the problem is while Maryland still says that a, that a dog or a cat or a ferret are property, they're not property. When what it about comes a rabbit? Rabbits, too. Rabbits, too. Okay. As long as they're not eating my plants, okay. rabbits are cute. Matt will keep his under control. Yes. Oh, good. Um, but the, the key thing is that you have to recognize that that's not true. Okay. Um, anyone that has a good friend that has a pet that's died, you know that. It, there's a grieving cycle for the loss of a pet. It's the same when people separate. Um, the most interesting cases I've seen are the ones where the parents send the, 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 the dog or the cats or the ferrets or the rabbits with the kids so that when the kids go back and forth, so do the animals or the pets. Interesting. Yes. So So do courts actually make decisions about pets or is that something that... They don't really have the power to do so. Okay. They don't have, I mean, it's, they, the only thing they can really um, do with personal property is to order it sold and the proceeds divided. And no one wants to sell their dog. No one wants or their to sell cat. Fluffy. No, not Fluffy. Understandable. Not even Bunny Rabbit Fluffy. So let us assume that the parents have worked out most of the logistics of these things and want to create some permanence for it. What do they do? As far they what they can do is reach a parenting agreement, okay. which says, okay, this is how major decisions are going to be made. Most people make them together, okay, and they have a conversation. Sometimes they put in kind of a process by which, if they disagree, maybe they'll go to mediation for a session. Maybe they'll you know they'll talk to either the doctor if it's a medical decision, um, a pastor if or a religious leader if it's a religious decision. Or, you know, the teachers or a school counselor if it's an educational decision. And sometimes they just simply say, we'll just have to go to court over it. 
So I've heard of separation agreements. I presume that when you get an actual divorce, there's some way of embodying what you've agreed to in a document that can be referred to by the court, by lawyers, by other people in the future. Yes. The um, parenting uh, agreement is often the first thing that's developed because most people focus on their children first. That is good. And then from there, you expand to the financial issues and to property division. And the when it comes to property division, I really feel that if it's other than you take the, that couch and I'll take this couch, um, that you really talk to someone, if, if not a lawyer, then a financial person to help you walk through it. Because with retirements, if you're going to transfer any interest in a retirement, it has to be done exactly the right way to avoid tax and penalties. Okay. And and that's where, you know, lawyers can help you with that. Mediators can can refer you to people as well. So married couple splits up, has kids, dogs, property, et cetera. They must file a divorce paper somewhere, I would yes. presume, and they must be some sort of response to that. And then I would presume after that, whatever agreements they've struck are offered to the court or yes. do they not go into the court or how does that work? Generally, the um, you, you file a complaint for an absolute divorce okay. on the basis of grounds. And, and, we, and what are the grounds generally? Well, generally, I mean, adultery is always one where you don't have to wait a period of time. Okay. That's not happening as often. Uh, a one-year separation, there's a mutual consent that's already in effect for uh, parties who have an agreement, uh, but no children. Okay. Uh, they can go. They can reach an agreement and go into court and tell the court, yes, this is our agreement. We both still agree with it and get a divorce without time being a problem. So if I get married today, mm-hmm. I can go into court and get a divorce tomorrow if it's mutually agreed upon? You could. It'd be silly, wouldn't it? My wife wouldn't be happy. So. No, she wouldn't. Okay. <laughs> if you got married today. Yes. So the other thing would I did. would be big of me. Yeah, I did want to just point out there's also a new grounds for people with kids that is without a time frame. It's a mutual consent that will be in effect as of October 1st. So you file a complaint. I presume that the spouse is required to file some sort of response. Yes, you have to serve the other side with a complaint. Then they would file an answer. If you have an agreement, usually it's what we call an uncontested divorce. There's a hearing. Um, at, you know, testimonies offered that supports that there are residents that are sufficient to meet the requirements and that they have the grounds and then that the agreement is still agreed to by both parties. What happens when people get into agreements and they get divorced and they change their mind? Is there some collateral way to attack the agreement? The answer to that is on points unrelated to the children, Okay, you're, it's a contract okay. and it's very hard. You still have to prove fraud, misrepresentation or one of the other, sure. um, the other factors. Um, with children, everything is always modifiable. Um, best interest of the child. Best interest of the child. However, once a determination has been made and entered into court, you have to have a significant change in circumstances related to the children in order to reach the best interest. And that is that in my sense is that was to prevent people from walking in the door the next day and claiming, you know, we need to change this for the kids. Well, what has changed? You agree to it then. What has changed? So all of these things, I presume, are applicable to people who are unmarried and have the same issues other than they don't have to dissolve a marriage. Well, the answer to that is, as when it comes to the children, yes. But when it comes to property, if you're not married, you do not, uh, you do not earn any interest or begin to develop an interest in property 
if it's titled in the other person's name. There is no marital property benefit to people who are unmarried. Well, what about one person staying home and cleaning the house and working part-time and the other person is working full-time and making lots of money, but they're unmarried and they live together for years? Isn't there some redress for the person who's been staying home and taking care of the house? As a general rule of thumb, no. Okay. Because um, alimony is not available for an unmarried couple. Um, and I've not seen a case of palimony okay. in the state of Maryland for many, many of the years that I've been here. Okay. Um, not to say that someone hasn't tried it, but um, the, the big thing is that the only aspect of um, unmarried couples that the courts generally deal with is the custody of children. Okay. Or do you have any recommendations as we close out the show with regard to how unmarried couples who have the same issues as married couples should approach things? I would, I would recommend that you do essentially a what would be the equivalent of a premarital uh, agreement. That is that you agree as to how you're going to deal with property issues and financial issues going forward. And then set out, if it's in joint names, obviously you're going to have a joint interest. If it's, you know, in sole names, you know, maybe that's the indicator that you don't intend to have both parties have an interest in the property. Any final words on breaking up? I think that it's just something that shouldn't be done, you know, uh, in a knee-jerk fashion, you okay. know, like they do in the movies and on TV. I understand. I think that you have to be considerate of the other person, regardless of how you feel about them, because in the end, the best way to resolve these things is to work with the other party. And so if you start by upsetting them, then it's going to be much harder to recover and get something reasonable done. Thank you very much, Cece. I think that is sage advice. This has been Everyday Law. I'm your host, Bob Clark. Farewell.